Thanks, guys. G'day, everyone. Good to see you this evening. My name's Jason. Uh, if you don't know where I connect into St George North, I'm usually at Bexley North in the mornings and Bexley in the mornings and here in the evenings. Uh, but I do want to plug uh, for your prayers. Next term, uh, we hope to start up under God a 430 in the afternoon congregation at Bexley North. And so uh, if you would like to pray for that, I'd love you to. Uh, if you'd like to talk to me about it, I'd also love to talk to you about it as well. Uh, any last minute people is fantastic uh, as we get that organised. Uh, we're turning to God's word tonight. Let me pray for us as we do so. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that you have given it to us, passed it to, through time to us to this day. Father, we, we thank you for that, and as we think about what it's for and how you use it, we pray, Father, that we would have humble hearts to sit under its authority, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every month or so, I get three or four magazines in the mail, and I love getting stuff in the mail because nothing comes in the mail anymore, so glossy magazines, is great to open up and flick through. Uh, magazines from Christian bookstores come all the time. So you open them up and have a look through and at the front page there's always the new releases and then you flick to DVDs and CDs and on and on you go. And then at the very back where you would think, well actually this should be closer to the front, at the very back you come to the Bible section. You're like, this is core business for Christian bookshops. But here it is at the end. So you open the Bible section and you look in and you go, this should be simple, I'll choose a Bible. And what do you see? a million options, right? There's Bibles galore in these catalogues. So you go, I want an NIV, let's say. You look in there, an NIV. Oh, there's an NIV church Bible. There's an NIV study Bible. There's an NIV with two columns or one column. There's an NIV chronological Bible. There's an NIV quest study Bible. There's an NIV spirit-filled Bible. And you can have the spirit-filled Bible without the spirit-filled bit. And it's just the quest Bible. You can get whatever you want. There is, if you've got enough cash, you can get the cultural backgrounds NIV study Bible. Is that confusing for you or what? What if you say, I don't want an NIV, what else can I get? Well, don't you worry. King James, revised King James, three different types of contemporary English versions, NRSV, NLT, ESV, and HCSB, which is the Holman, the one we use. Isn't it overwhelming? Deep breath, so many versions of the Bible. It sort of seems like we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no divisions, no slave or free, Greek or Jew, but in Bibles... There is all the divisions. There is slave and free. There is Greek and Jew. There are flanny wearers and there are environmental protesters. There is everything you can imagine. You can get a Bible for yourself. I'm hanging out for the Jason Beach Bible. It's going to be a home and it's going to be a premium edition, black letter, double column, built-in dictionary. I want parallel Greek, Hebrew. Let's have CEV for scripture. Let's have Holman so that on Sundays I can use the same Bible. Fold out maps all in a compact format. <laughs> but I'm not actually going to buy it because this one hasn't worn out yet, so I'll leave it until a little bit later down the track till I pick up that one. But wouldn't it be nice to know that every kind of Bible is available for me? In the end, we have so many accesses to English translations, it's ridiculous. 634 other translations are also available if you speak another language. There are an amazing amount of Bibles in the world this day. So it's hard to imagine a time when you couldn't get an English Bible. It's hard to imagine a time when people died so that you could read your English Bible. But that's the time we're thinking about today as we think about our third week of the Reformation series 
and we're thinking about the Bible alone. Uh, To do that, we're going to start by thinking about one man, William Tyndale, from the 16th century. And we've got some help today. Uh, During this series up at Bexley and Bexley North, I've been using a few different videos. And I have a fine actor who you may recognise playing the part of William Tyndale to get us started tonight. Thank you. As a scholar, I can speak many different languages. I can speak Hebrew, Greek, Latin, French, Italian, Spanish, and of course, English. During my lifetime, the Bible was really only available in Latin, and not many people could read Latin at that time. Only people like me, who were scholars or the church leaders, could read the Bible. In fact, If you did manage to have a copy of the Bible in English, you could be put to death. For most people, the only way you could know about God was through the church leaders, the priest. The more that I read the Bible, the more I realised that these weren't just words on a page. They were God's words. This was God speaking to us. So I did not think that it was right that only the priests or the educated could have access to God's words. So I set about translating the Bible from its original languages, from Hebrew and from Greek, into English so that my English people could read the Bible in their language. Doesn't he love it? He absolutely loves it. Alex, can you flick back a few screens? I forgot to say, he has played some other characters... Uh, these are my artist impression. Martin Luther, <laughs> Brendan Moore. He looks the part, doesn't he? He loves that. John Calvin, he fits pretty well as John Calvin. But then William Tyndale, not so much. Though on the screen, he did a great job, didn't he, in that video. Uh, Tyndale was an amazing man. We better get those off the screen so we're not distracted. He started out as a young man influenced by Luther's ideas, frustrated about how little of the scripture made it into the public life in England. Uh, This is something that he said about the universities. He said, in the university they have ordained that no man shall look on the scripture until he be nozzled in heathen learning eight or nine years and armed with false principles with which he is clean shut out of understanding the scripture. You can see how high a view he has of the university system. You can't find the Bible until you're eight or nine years into it. Tyndale wanted an English Bible for everyone. Of course, he wasn't the only one, and in fact, 150 years earlier, John Wycliffe had produced an English Bible. He translated the old Latin Bible into English. Unfortunately for him, there was no printing press, uh, there wasn't much traction in the country, and the English authorities were dead set against it. They said, you can't do it, and they made a law against having an English Bible. So that shut people out from reading the Bible. Unless you were really well-educated, you couldn't access it. Tyndale was frustrated 150 years later and he let people know about it. One day he said to a a, a pope, I want an English, a priest, sorry, I want an English Bible. And the priest responded, well actually we'd be better off with the Pope's laws in English than with the Bible in English. And you can imagine how that set him off. He said, right, that's it. This is what he said. He says, I defy the Pope and all his laws and if God spare my life before many years, I'll cause a boy that drives the plough to know more of the scriptures than you do. 
And so he got to work. He started off in London working on his translation. Sadly, it was too dangerous to work on an English translation in England. So he went across to the continent. He went to uh, Wittenberg, where Luther was. He went to Hamburg and later to Belgium, all the time working on his English translation. So 1526, he finally published it. Uh, In a place where no one spoke English, he quietly worked away on an English translation. And we have a little picture, actually, of John's Gospel. It was printed on the printing press, so there are copies around that you can see. It's a nice-looking Bible from there. But what happened was, uh, people said, we needed this in England. They smuggled copies into Scotland and England. But pretty soon, the Crown got uh, very offended by this, and they started buying up the Bibles. And they gathered them all together and they started burning the Bibles in public. No English Bible, they said. Which, when you think about it, is quite incredible that they would do such a thing. They burnt those Bibles, but Tyndale had enterprising friends. So one of his good friends heard about this whole market for smuggled Bibles and said, right, I'm going to sell expensive smuggled Bibles to the king. He can buy them expensively. I'll take that money, invest back in print runs and get more Bibles to come back into England. What a great guy. And actually, I was just talking to Rob a little while ago, we were talking about what heroes some of these printers were as they printed the Bible and smuggled them in so that people could read it in their own language. People describe Tyndale as a brilliant man, many languages, but actually quite naive as a person. And so in the end, that was his undoing. Uh, After King Henry announced his divorce, his annulment of his marriage, uh, Tyndale spoke publicly against it. Uh, The crown didn't like that, and so they hooked up with this man, Henry Phillips. Now, Phillips was a guy who was living in the continent, had gambled away his family's money, and didn't have much to lose. He was looking for an opportunity to get in favour again in England, and so he agreed to entrap Tyndale. Using his business connections, Phillips arranged this lunch, and he said, all right, we'll meet up with uh, Tyndale for lunch. Tyndale was told by all his friends, don't do it. He's a stranger, don't meet up with him, but he did it anyway. And so they're walking down a narrow alley and and the lunch place is coming up on the right-hand side or whatever. And the big man said, Phillips, big man, like Phil, Phil up the back, walking behind me. Big man was walking by and said, you go ahead. And then out of the other end of the alley walked two big burly men. And they start walking and Tyndale steps back thinking, oh no. And then sure enough, Phillips pushes him forward. All three of them bundle him up, bound and gag him and carry him away uh, to a castle in Belgium effectively putting him in jail. Tyndale was caught. About a year and a half later, they put him to death. Uh, 1536, October, they put him to death. Here's a picture of the gruesome scene. Uh, They wanted to make sure he was dead, so they choked him first. After that, they burnt him to make sure that there was no chance that the guy would live on. But the last words attributed to him, to Tyndale, he prayed a prayer. He said, "'Lord, open the King of England's eyes.'" And he died. It's a sad ending for the man, for Tyndale. But it's not the end of his story. Uh, What did the people of England make of all this? What did they make of Bibles coming their way that they could actually read? I'm going to cross now to another friend in the continent uh, to let us find out more. A lot of people wouldn't have known what it was about. A lot of people would have been uh, surprised at these new innovations, saying, I thought the church always told us the truth, what's, what's, this, what's going on? But the people who had come to see that God's word is actually there, available now for the first time in their own language, that was hugely exciting for them. And you see it um, 
people risking their livelihoods and their lives to smuggle these Bibles into England because they saw how important that was to be able to read God's Word for themselves. And you actually get stories of people teaching themselves to read just so that they could read the New Testament in their own language. William Tyndale spent 11 years here in continental Europe translating, printing and smuggling. Henry VIII sent a message urging him to come back. Tyndale said he would if the king would give his approval for an authorised translation of the Bible. If the king would do that, then Tyndale said he'd... Most humbly submit myself at the feet of his royal majesty, offering my body to suffer what pain or torture, yea, what death his grace will, so this translation be obtained. So you can see there was a bit of a thirst for an English Bible. Uh, though Henry wanted him to come back to England, he never did come back. They captured him over in the continent and put him to death. But incredibly, three years after he prayed that prayer, the prayer was answered. Uh, King Henry said, yes, we can have an authorised English Bible. Uh, people have worked it out and they reckon about 83% of that Bible is Tyndale's direct work, produced in a foreign land as an exile. He always wanted to see this day and never did. Uh, Tyndale still considered one of the most influential Englishmen in history. Uh, in translating the Bible, he had to come up with new words, uh, words that there were not in English at that point of time. So words like Jehovah, Passover, atonement, scapegoat, just to name a few. He also had to come up with new phrases, way to express the Greek and the Hebrew uh, in English. And you'll know these phrases. Salt of the earth, that's his. Uh, the powers that be, a law unto themselves, fight the good fight. Those were his phrases as he translated the Greek into English. He shaped English, even though he wasn't in England. It's an incredible story. And he died because he was convicted that we need to have our Bibles in our own language so we can read them. Makes you wonder why, doesn't it? Why is it so important? It's just a book. Why is it so important that you can read the Bible for yourself? Uh, our final video this evening is crossing to Mark Thompson, Principal of Moore College, to summarise why. William Tyndale, in contrast to the bishops of the Church of England and Catholic bishops more generally, believed that the Bible was the Word of God which addresses the people of God. God's Word is what nourishes faith. God's Word is what nourishes the Church. And to keep the Bible locked away in the hands of specialists such as the priests was to deprive God's people of what they needed in order to grow as disciples of Christ. He wanted to make the Bible available to everyone. He believed the Bible was clear, God's effective communication to his people, and what he just needed to do was put it in the language that ordinary people spoke. And then the ploughboy and the workman, as well as the scholar and the king, might understand the truth of what God has to say. So as Mark said there, the reformers understood that the Bible alone has the final authority uh, for living out lives of faith, for being saved, for knowing what it is to be a Christian. Now, they rejected the idea that somehow by the church or by the priests or by traditions or by observing the world or by some inner spirituality or by some private message, God phone or something in your head, that somehow, otherwise than the Bible, you could come to know God. They said the Bible alone is how God reveals himself. The Bible alone is how God powerfully works in his people. 
And the, and the Bible is God's authoritative word to us as we wait for Jesus to return. Those are the three ideas I want us to think about as we finish off today. Three ideas from the Bible, so I hope you have a Bible in front of you. If you don't, I'm sure that we can still get one walked down to you, so you can flip around in the Bible as we think about the Bible. Uh, Please turn up to Hebrews 1. The first idea is that the Bible alone is God's revelation to us. Flip to Hebrews 1. If you're really slow, it's going to come up on the screen as well. But I wanted you to practice flipping through your Bibles or whatever it is you do on your phone, thumbing through your Bible. Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's one of my favourite passages in all of scripture. It tells us that the way God makes himself known is he reveals himself to us. And that makes sense because in any relationship, you can never really know someone unless they reveal themselves to you. How could you know if Phil's favourite band in the whole universe was One Direction unless he revealed it to you? Go and talk to him. He'll reveal this fact to you. I actually don't know if that's his favourite. He hasn't revealed it to me, so I don't know. You need him to reveal it to you. And I mean, what about Troy? At the moment, he's not even talking to me. I have no idea what he's on about because he won't reveal anything to me. He's so quiet on every matter. God is not quiet on every matter, okay? The God of the universe reveals himself. He has spoken and we need him to. Have a look at verse 2. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. This is wonderful news. If God is going to be revealed, you want Jesus to do it. Why is that? Well, verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature sustaining all things by his powerful word. So the point is, if you want to know God, look at Jesus. He perfectly reveals God. And in a very tangible way, because he comes into history to reveal God. Uh, We don't have Jesus, of course, today walking around amongst us. If you think you see Jesus, you haven't seen Jesus. There's something going wrong. He's not wandering the streets of St. George at the moment. But he will be back. And when he comes, we will know. But until then, his word to us remains. We have Jesus' word in Scripture. Uh, The apostles, the church fathers, they followed Jesus' command. They taught one another the Scriptures. And they wrote it down for us. And here we have it in our hands, revealing God for us to read about who God is and how we can be saved. Incredibly, Tyndale was ready to die so that you could read about that. So his contemporaries could read about that. Some people say, from time to time, surely God has other ways to get to know him. Surely he would give us other ways to come to him. But the Bible says, no, that's not possible. Romans 3 verse 11 says that there's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. 
See, the, the sin in us, our human sin, our rebellion against God means we will never find God on our own. We can't work him out on our own. We can't work out how to be saved by ourselves. Without the Bible, we are lost. So thank God for your Bible. It comes in many forms. You can get all sorts of versions. Don't take it for granted just because you can. The Bible should be your most precious possession. I still remember the first time I read the Bible. It was about 24 years ago. The Gospel of John, I, I picked it up as a challenge, a dare, if you like, from a friend you know, read the Bible, see if you can prove it's wrong. And I thought I could. How easy would that be? I'd just find all the consistencies, write them to inconsistencies, write them down, done. Thanks very much. I met Jesus. I met a person in the pages of the Bible. It took another couple of years and then Jesus was my Lord and Saviour. I realised I had to submit to this man, Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, if you're here today without a Bible, please let us give you one. In fact, I almost guarantee the person next to you will just hand their Bible over if you don't have a Bible. Here, take my Bible. If they won't, they're stingy. And uh, come to me and I'll give you my... You can have my Bible, anyone who wants it. The place to start in getting to know God is through his word in the Bible. So read it. Where do you start? One of my friends, when I said read the Bible, read it. She said, I'll read it. She came back and said, I've read it cover to cover. Three weeks it took her. You could try that. That's pretty impressive, right? Or you could try maybe starting with Jesus. Start John's Gospel. Start Mark's Gospel. Do Christianity Explained on a Sunday afternoon with Kev and read through Mark's Gospel in a group. Let God reveal himself to you because that's how he speaks to you. So that's the first point. God reveals himself through the Bible. Second point. The Bible alone is God's powerful word to us. It's God's powerful word to us. Now, what do I mean by powerful? Well, we need to flip across to Hebrews 4, the passage we read before. And we're focusing in on verse 12 and 13. Again, it's up on the screen for those who haven't flipped to it. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The word of God is incredibly powerful. It gets right in there deep, into your heart, into your soul, into your mind. God's word, verse 12, it judges, it penetrates the thoughts of our minds, the attitudes of our hearts, and it judges them. Now, we've all had that experience of slicing vegetables in the kitchen. I hope you've all had that experience. Maybe some of you haven't. Try cooking sometimes. <laughs> we've all had that experience, right? And every now and again, you, you cut yourself and you look and go, oh, wow, I cut myself. The blood's coming out. That should hurt. And a few seconds later, ah, oh, that does hurt. Yes, I should do something about that. God's word is like that. You start reading God's word, expose yourself to the word, and it starts working on you. Before you know it, it is exposing you. It is revealing Jesus. It is telling you who you are as a person. It is helping you to cry out for salvation. It's actually really dangerous to read the Bible. That person that dared me knew what they were doing. I dare you to read the Bible. I dare you to read the Bible. It's dangerous. Uh, every year in Sydney, we have these festivals of dangerous ideas. I don't know if you've seen that. You look at a list of dangerous ideas and it's like, oh, here's all the sort of 
favourite liberal ideas in our society that everyone agrees with already. That's not dangerous. I'm waiting for a Christian to get up there and say, read your Bible. The Bible's changed the world. Read it for yourself. I don't even have to be here. Just read the Bible on your own because it is dangerous. It is powerful when you expose yourself to it. There's no doubting that God has changed the world through his word. Now, why does that happen? Well, it's in verse 12. It's because God's word, it's not just dead words on paper. It's not just printed and done. It's not sort of God's little piece of paper he files in a cabinet and those that are interested in history can pull it out and have a look every now and again. God's word is alive. God's word is active. What that means is that God is working through his word by his spirit. He is applying it to us. He is working in our hearts and minds as we read his scriptures. There is no other book where the author is at work in you while you read. Wouldn't that be weird if there was? Imagine if J.K. Rowling was in your head even as you read Harry Potter. She could be whispering in my ear, Harry Potter's not an idiot. Keep reading. It really will make sense. Buy more books. I still wouldn't believe her because she's not God and she doesn't work powerfully in me. But God does. God works powerfully in us. Verse 13, we are laid bare by his word. We are exposed. We are naked in our sin before the God who judges us. That should be terrifying. But the good news is, even though it's terrifying, as we understand our desperate need for salvation, we meet our saviour face to face in the pages of the Bible. In the Bible, as we've been saying, our new story begins. Through faith and grace, our story begins again. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He talks about the power of God like this. He says in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is God's power to us who are being saved. The Bible reveals God. As we look to Jesus on the cross, God's power is at work in us. So that's the second point for today. The third point, the Bible alone is authoritative over us. Now, what I mean by that is the Bible is not just some self-help book. You know those um, books for dummies, the yellow books that you can get? The Bible is not life for dummies. You don't pick and choose your way and go, oh, there's a way to live. There's another way to live. It's not like that at all. God's word has binding authority over us. It is the final word on how we live and act as Christians. Uh, Flip now in your Bible to 2 Timothy 3. That's back a couple of pages from where you are at the moment. 2 Timothy 3, once again on the screen as well. Timothy is told, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learnt it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Timothy's told here to hold on to the scriptures. Hold on to the scriptures that you've learnt. They'll make you wise for salvation in Christ. Now that's, that's talking about being saved, but it's also t- talking about living out your life as a Christian. Living out after salvation. God's word in the Bible teaches us how to live. And its binding authority comes from the fact that this is God teaching you how to live. So look at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
When Paul says here it is God's God breathed, he's saying the Bible comes from God. It's God's inspired word. These are his words. This is God's living instruction manual. This is for people who are his servants and who deliberately put themselves under his authority. And so it, it is something that we have for a purpose. Look there in verse 17. We're told it's so that we do the good works that are expected of God's servants. Sometimes Christians will say, well, I'm waiting on God's leading as to what I should do. We've heard people say that. We'll wait no more. As we read this, as we read the pages of the Bible, the Bible's telling you what to do. Put yourself under the authority of Scripture. The Bible says, grow in righteousness, uh, digest the word, read, teach, rebuke with it. Learn God's word and then live out the life of righteous good works God has prepared for you to do. You know, there's nothing more encouraging as a pastor than we, when people come to you and say, I was reading the Bible this week. That's encouraging. <laughs> Please read your Bibles every week. Come and tell us. It's encouraging. But when they say, I was reading the Bible this week and I realized something. I learned something. I was changed by something. Uh, maybe they'll say, I was reading the Bible this week and realized the Bible's not all about me. It's about Jesus. I keep thinking I'm the center of my life when it's Jesus that's the center of the universe. Maybe people read the Bible and say, I thought God wanted me to be healthy, happy, wealthy. It was all about that. But no, it's about serving Jesus and others. Maybe people say, I come to church thinking I'm here to just commune with God when the Bible says, no, actually you're here to also serve God's people. It's why we meet together. And even more exciting than those things is when a new Christian comes to me. I love it when somebody who's been steeped in the world, who's become a Christian, then comes and says, I was reading the Bible this week and there's something really hard. I don't get it. It's really hard. But you know what? I want to work it out. Let's sit down. Can we sit down and read God's word together? Can we work out what this means? Because I want to put God's word first. I want to wrestle with it. I want God's word to have authority and not my baggage from the world. In every age, I think there are those touchstone issues where the world wants to give authority to you, wants you to say, yes, this is more important, and the Bible is less important. And in Tyndale's day, people, Christians, actually denied people the right to read the Bible. The touchstone issue was access to God's Word, to understand faith and grace. That's incredible. What an issue. How could you call yourself a Christian and deny the very Word of God to others? Today it's not the same. We have different touchstone issues. Uh, the one that I keep seeing coming up is a weird one because Tyndale never would have imagined this. Today I think the issue of sexual identity, the authority that has in our society is right up here. And it takes a brave Christian to say, you know what? I think God's view of sex is more important than the world's view of sex. I think what God teaches is right, not the world. And it is so encouraging when new Christians work that out as they read God's word and work out God is right in what he teaches. People's willingness to accept God's view and the authority of the scripture really tells you where their heart is at. In every age, God's word has the ultimate authority and the Bible must have the final say for you and me. Well, let me draw this together from those three points. In a country where Bibles are readily available, you can get whatever kind of Bible you want to get, I think we take them for granted. 
Imagine if we actually treated the Bible as God's authoritative word. Imagine if we treated it as God's powerful self-revelation. Imagine if we had the kind of desperation that Tyndale had. He was prepared to die so that people could access the Bible. Imagine if Jesus' word in the Bible was our most precious possession. I wonder if we thought this way, whether we wouldn't read the Bible more often for ourselves. And I wonder if we thought this way, whether we wouldn't make a greater effort to give Bibles to other people, to dare people to read them. And I wonder if we thought this way, whether we wouldn't value gospel teams as a highlight in the week to make sure you are there and to make sure you're reading the Bibles with, other, with the Bible with others in that group and to try and find someone you can encourage and sit down and read with and grow together as you soak up God's word. And I wonder if we really trusted, the, trusted God at his word, if we wouldn't be more enthusiastic about world mission. Because aren't we sending people out Bible in hand into the world, saying, share God's word with others who haven't heard it. Imagine if we truly believe the Bible and what it says about itself. Imagine if we actually thought it was the very word of God. Imagine if we thought it was the words of eternal life. I wonder what we'd do. I wonder what you'd do if you believe that. I pray you do. And I pray you'll be creative and excited as you live and read and understand and digest God's word. Let me finish with God's promise about his word in Isaiah 55. He says, My word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in what I send it to do. Why don't we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for giving us your word. We thank you for the privilege of having an English Bible in our hands. We do pray for the people of this world who don't even have a Bible in their own language at this time. We pray that great efforts would be made to translate your word so that they might read it. We pray for our missionaries who labour to share their hope with others and read the Bible out in the world. And we pray for us. May we trust your powerful, revealed word and live under its authority for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.